Hello, this is Jennifer Lescalette from MDisrupt, and we're so excited today to have Ron Rierko with us to talk about how health tech companies can sell to health systems. Ron is the head of clinical solutions at Soteria Precision Medicine Foundation and executive director of genomics at Family Care Path. Over the course of his career, Ron has worked with stakeholders across the health ecosystem from academic research to health systems to industry. He has over 20 years of experience in cancer research and spent 13 years at the prestigious Cleveland Clinic as a director of genomic of the Genomic Medicine Institute. Ron has developed and implemented medical genetics, genomic medicine, pharmacogenomics, and telehealth programs. He also knows how to implement precision medicine technologies, clinical workflows, and operational processes. I'm so excited to have Ron here today to get his expertise and insights. Health tech startups sometimes don't take the best approach when it comes to engaging health systems. And today, Ron's going to give us insights on the right way. So welcome, Ron. It's so great to have you here. Thank you, Jen. Pleasure to be here. So I'd like to start off by just taking me through your career journey. You know, what parts have enabled you to have this unique perspective across everything from genomics to precision medicine, clinical and commercial operations? Well, I've been in this uh, for about 30 years now in the genomic space. Uh, started off in research at prestigious places like the VA Medical Center and the Howard Hughes uh, Medical Institute. So got to work with them. Uh, then moved on to clinical care and hospital operations when I worked at the Cleveland Clinic as director of the Genomic Medicine Institute under Dr. Kara Sang. Then I moved on from there to business development, which I had been basically doing all those years, but working with companies like Soteria Precision Medicine Foundation, Family Care Path, and MDisrupt. And one of the other pieces I add to this is uh, over the years I had taught in uh, community colleges. So I learned a little bit about how to communicate with people at all levels and make sure that the information I'm trying to share with them, they understand. So I basically, as you pointed out, worked on everything from strategy to also implementation. So I have a, a much broader understanding of the challenges you're going to encounter and also the culture that you have to deal with. I would love to get your ideas and, and just an understanding from you on what that what the healthcare ecosystem looks like from your perspective, given all of these different uh, areas that you can pull from. The first thing to think about is healthcare is still a company, even though we, we call it uh, healthcare. It's, it's really a set of companies that are trying to offer a product, which is called healthcare. So we just think about it in that respect. So even though it's a, it's a very personal journey for people, and involves everybody's medical care, it still offers a product. So we think about it like that. Currently, we're still practicing what we call a sick care. People go to the hospital to be taken care of because they have some issue. It is still a lot of volume-based, though we are trying to move to the value-based uh, model. It's going to take a couple years to several years to really transform over into that model. But if you think about it, Currently, preventable deaths account for eight of 10 leading causes of death. So it points to the fact that, again, we're practicing a sick care solution, not a health care solution. So just to understand what is this ecosystem doing? I remember in, in a meeting with Dr. Toby Cosgrove, the former CEO of the Cleveland Clinic, where he said that it is exactly that. It is sick care, not health care. And in 40 years of practicing, he had not seen a healthy patient. So that's one of the first things we have to think about. 
realize that this healthcare ecosystem, the healthcare costs are rising substantially. They're rising faster than the annual income and are not sustainable. Then these costs are unloaded on companies and patients. So we're creating an undue stress upon the consumers or the patients of this healthcare. And then the cost of insurance premiums is outpacing the ability to pay. We've seen family costs have increased by 180% since 2002. And 45% of people would have difficulty in the United States paying an unexpected $500 medical bill. So when you think about this, this is showing that we have a very tenuous system, a very sensitive ecosystem, one that needs uh, a lot of help and a lot of innovation. And currently, 60% of people with insurance and a medical issue issue use most or all of their savings to pay for medical bills. So you can see that we have these costs rising and the inability to pay for them within this ecosystem. And unfortunately, the cost of care does not always equate with good care. Uh, On a per capita basis, the U.S. spends more than several thousand dollars average over other types of developed countries. And even though we're number one in in the cost of health care, we're only number 11th in, in the level of healthcare outcomes. And one way you can look at this too is, I've uh, unfortunately dealt with this with a lot of colleagues and friends over the years. If someone's diagnosed with cancer, they usually come to me and say, where should I be treated? Well, if healthcare ecosystem was treating it all exactly the same or close enough, we wouldn't have to ask those type of questions. You would be able to go to your local academic medical center or hospital system in order to be treated and maybe have collaborations with other hospitals to provide the best treatment. But you got all these issues going on right now. And then you add this huge disruptor of COVID. So the healthcare ecosystem, which is like a cottage industry of a lot of different parts, is trying to figure out what it's going to look like in its next phase with these immense financial constraints and then having huge disruptors moving into the market. Yeah, that's a, a great point. I feel like COVID, like the past six months, is is just really brought a lot of these issues up to the forefront. Even though they were there, I think more and more people are looking at looking at them and trying to figure out how we're going to move forward. And so, I'd like to dig into that a little bit more and and just really understand, you know, post this COVID, if we do have a post COVID future, what's changing and what should health tech companies capitalize on? So that's a good point. And hopefully we are moving through this uh, COVID uh, crisis, this pandemic and moving into this next phase. Uh, But as you said, it is affecting hospital systems and healthcare systems. And what it's providing is it's it's a very um, dangerous, disastrous pandemic. I'll give it that. And and a lot of people have, have passed away from it. And that's very regrettable. But the, the other point to look at, too, is it's creating an opportunity because the healthcare systems were already under stress. And by providing this immense stress of COVID, it's almost like a vice squeezing them and they're starting to, to break at certain parts. So it's creating opportunities where companies that are really interested in healthcare and can aid these hospitals can now move into the ecosystem at probably a more rapid pace. As you can see uh, with telehealth, those have uh, those companies have increased immensely by generating thousands of more visits per month than they used to in the past, actually tens of thousands. So telehealth, 
which we were utilizing at the Cleveland Clinic several years ago, but was utilized in a, in a small percentage of cases, is now just exploding and starting to be offered everywhere. So we take this technology that we weren't sure was going to really pu- push forward, or it might take five years to 10 years to actually move it into clinical care, has actually been accelerated into care. So this opportunity has provided a lot of uh, chances for companies to get into this space. But when you think of telehealth, you also want to think of digital health and all the pieces that could uh, advance in this. And that's why we see these other disruptors, such as Walgreens, Walmart, uh, Amazon, Google, uh, CVS. Uh, I could just keep going down a list of companies that are causing disruptions in this market in trying to change what it's going to look like. So we're going through a transformation right now. And I think hospitals are going to move into more of uh, treating the acute patients and a lot of the preventive health and the primary care may start to move into these disruptors and how they handle it, trying to keep people healthy. And then the goal is for the hospitals to treat those that actually need sick care. And uh, from that perspective, they will... uh, be back on track as companies as providing a financial support for their hospital systems. Is there, are there other things that, that get certain product pitches to the front of the line um, with health system executives versus others? And, and again, I think we've, we've kind of gone over this, but again, in this post COVID era. So again, as, as a, as a health tech company trying to get into these systems, if you can offer them ways to work with them to find new revenue, that's very important to them. And then you also have to realize that these systems are dealing with millions of dollars of losses. So if you come in and you say, hey, my product can offer to make you $4,000 this year on the on their level of strategy and priorities, that may not be near the top because they're dealing with millions of dollars of losses and looking for something that could produce a lot more. But if you do show them that you can make some money and a, a significant change in the healthcare outcomes, that's important. But uh, the last thing I would say is, and if you try to make a pitch saying that your product or your offering or your, your algorithm or whatever helps them to save money, that's usually a very difficult uh, process to show and uh, way to document. So they're very leery of when you say we can help you save money on the cost of healthcare, unless you have really documented cases and can show it in actual practice. So the best way to get their attention is trying to show them we're working with you to develop new revenue sources and in some cases save in the healthcare costs. So new revenue sources, saving in the healthcare costs. Is there are there other things that in your experience really caught caught your eye, maybe from from companies that came in with certain types of pitches or the way they did the pitches um, or maybe who, you know, the, the composition of their leadership team or are there things that health tech entrepreneurs should think about when it comes to how to stand out in the crowd? So one of the things to think of is that uh, again, healthcare is a huge ecosystem and people are approaching it all different directions. You could come in through a financial angle. You can come through uh, an insurance angle through the physicians, through a researcher, uh, through uh, healthcare providers such as nurses. There's so many different ways into the system that you have to be very nimble in how you're going to approach it. I've seen lots of presentations and, and pitches are constant at the healthcare system. One of the things that I've seen is 
watching these pitches come in where they say we have a great product and you need to buy it. Uh, you need to have uh, sort of what I call uh, a hedgehog approach, which in the in uh, years ago we used the hedgehog approach when you're dealing with your products is be very focused. What is your product you're offering going to do to help that healthcare system? But second, I think which is even more critical is being able to speak hedgehog. Who are you talking to there? Are you talking to the chief financial officer? If so, then the financial outcomes are going to become critical. The healthcare outcomes are important, but you've got to know which are his or her uh, most important pieces. If you're talking to a physician, sometimes it's not just about financials, but about the medical outcomes and how it can help their patient or how it could reduce the time for, for them to see a patient. Recognizing that these healthcare systems are undergoing extreme distress right now financially and as a business unit. So coming in and trying to work with them as more of a partner and versus a vendor is is key in this aspect. But I think one of the things that I've seen over the years, and I've done this with multiple companies, is how do you work with uh, these different companies trying to get into healthcare systems, which is one of the reasons that I've partnered with them Disrupt because I see their model doing the same thing of being almost like a Sherpa and helping them guide through this process because each presentation to whoever you're presenting to is different and you've got to look at it different ways and you've got to be very flexible and nimble that even during the meeting, you, need, you may need to change your focus a little bit. So that's one of the key pieces that I think companies need is don't go in there blind. Find someone as an advisor or a consultant to help you with how best to present and uh, make sure that they're potentially even with you in the meetings so you can be nimble and flexible during the meeting. And then what's that path from health tech product development to clinical adoption? So if we look back at 2004, when I was uh, with uh, Dr. Sandy Markowitz and the Howard Hughes Medical Institute, identify a new tumor suppressor gene in colon cancer. I got finished with that, wrote the paper, and I thought we've, we've solved cancer. I was very naive at that point. It's like there's many years to go from that research discovery into utilizing a therapeutic or a treatment or data within clinical care. Is then you got to take that research that you discovered and move it from the lab into a healthcare space or a quasi healthcare space and receive some type of clinical approval. Is not only did you discover this and is it good and is this this tool, this application, this therapeutic valuable, but can it be used clinically? And what's the cost of that? And how is it reimbursed? Uh, all these other factors have to come into play. Then even if you get it into a system, then you have uh, and even have reimbursement for this. The next stage is, can you get clinical adoption? So I've seen a few things come into a hospital system and it seems like a great product or a great offering. And it had some form of reimbursement, but it wasn't uh, worked on as far as implementation. So because of that, uh, that it never really went much further. So th this is, a, again, you're, you're an ecosystem, and even your product has to have a sort of life cycle that you have to manage throughout. So you can't just come in and sell and walk away. You have to be part of it and seeing how is it working? What's the, the positives and negatives within the system? How do you work with the different stakeholders in order to enable it to work better? And you actually learn a lot through that process, and it could make your offering better, uh, or make it a, a more advanced. So there's a whole 
process that has to go through. It's not simply you have something, you sell it, and then you walk away. There's a, a lot of pieces to that. When you're in there trying to figure out who you're, the champions is going to be. So when you think about early adopters um, across the spectrum of stakeholders, there's health systems that are the early adopters, but then there are also people within the system that are your champions. And can you give us a an idea of what that looks like from, you know, we talked about sort of these innovators within the health system, but then within that, within that system, who should people be targeting um, to, to really get them on their side? Who are the champions within the system? Well, it's usually you know, you're trying to figure out what does your product do? If it's helping clinicians, then usually getting to like a chief medical officer is very valuable. If you're looking at some type of data analysis or data management system, getting to the chief information officer. But now that's becoming a bit more complicated because the systems are starting to subdivide those roles. You have chief digital transformation officers. You have chief transformation officers. You have medical information officers. you got all these different roles that are starting to uh, pop up. And so you have to understand how does the hierarchy and the ecosystem work. And then that helps you determine who is the best one to approach with your product and recognize that not in all cases is the person that you targeted the best one that you should be working with. I've actually been in meetings, and, and I'll use this as an example, where I was talking to a bunch of physicians and some of the business people. And actually, my biggest, um, I would say, uh, supporter in there was chief of human resources. And they saw this as offering something to the system that would help a lot of people, including since they were self-insured, their own employees. So they saw this as very valuable and became uh, my ally on this. So it's it's always interesting to see who's the best one that you should partner with. And it could be multiple, but trying to find that right person is trying to figure out what does my product do and what does it offer and who should I be going to? Approaching the chief medical officer with a new device that helps you do better data analysis may not get you anywhere. They're, they're very busy individuals, and that may not be something that they're interested in. They may pass it on or they may not. But you have several systems that are very innovative. And you know I could give a few, but it's definitely not an exhaustive list. There's many comp- or, or hospital systems out there that are doing this. But places like Intermountain Health, Geisinger, Cleveland Clinic, and Mayo, those are just some of the, the healthcare systems that are really trying to be innovative and move the needle from sick care to health care. We've talked a lot about, you know, things that we can do to have a better interaction with the health system. And I, I want to stay on that same vein, but talk about maybe some of the mistakes health tech companies can make selling to health systems. And we've talked about this a little bit in some of the other questions, but but maybe we can focus more on on crafting the value proposition and how how you go about you know doing that once you find those people that are are listening to you then how do you craft the right value prop so let me focus on things you should not do and then we'll figure out how to craft the best value prop i think the things you should not do is uh go into it cold you've got to understand the system you got to understand the culture you got to understand the individuals you're dealing with remember they're people they have Uh, jobs that they're trying to do, stresses that they have to deal with. So you're trying to connect with them as a person. So again, I come back to this Sherpa uh, idea of having someone along with you to help get through this. 
Because if you try to go in cold, even with a list of I should do these five things, that usually doesn't work. And one thing to remember is you cannot make a strategic mistake. Once you go into a system and you make a, a, a blunder, that usually gets around. And so hospitals have very long-term historical memories about companies and people. So you make a mistake or two in a system and you probably won't even be able to come back for a while. So you want to make sure that you're approaching it the best way possible. And then also remember that hospitals are ecosystems, not single entity units. You've got to figure out where's the best way to enter. What's the value prop for that specific entity that I'm approaching, but also have in your back pocket all the value props for any other types of the entities that you run into. Because uh, you may be speaking to a physician. You could be speaking to an administrator, a leader. Uh, a healthcare provider of some sort, a data person, IT person. There's all different types of people you meet. I've actually gone into a few systems where just walking down the hall, I start talking to people and I uh, start learning the culture and the attributes of that system and how it, how it seems to react to what healthcare is doing in the innovations, which helps me in the meetings, actually. And now I'm going to get even a little bit more specific within this realm of health tech, but I, I'd love to talk about genomics. And w while we're we're getting to a point where genomics is becoming a little bit more integrated into the health system, it's definitely not there yet. And I'd love to understand, you know, why genomics is still uh, a foreign topic for many physicians. Well, genomics is not going to be an if, it's a when. It's already in practice in a lot of places. Cleveland Clinic, for one, where I used to work, we had a very advanced uh, genomic medicine institute run by Dr. Kara Sang. So genomics is already in practice, whether it's used in um, cancer treatment or pharmacogenomics or hereditary cancer identification, hereditary disease identification, uh, non-invasive prenatal testing. It's already being utilized. So the problem is that it's very complicated. And it's a rapidly moving field. A lot of this information has really come out only in the last decade. So physicians that were in medical school, even just 10 years ago, may not have had a lot of this information. It's a rapidly moving uh, target and what it's going to offer. Every day we're finding out new and, in, and informative things. We're starting to use uh, sequencing to try to look at your DNA to determine what drugs you metabolize, what foods may be good for you, what diseases are you at risk for, uh, and even utilizing um, as a surrogate of genomics is the family history tool that Dr. Ang was one of the things she developed at the Cleveland Clinic. So using family history to be the surrogate, trying to determine what are you at risk for? These are all starting to come to play, but physicians, as we've talked about already, don't have a lot of time to incorporate this and are trying to figure out how do we incorporate this complex information into my clinical workflow? How do I understand the reports that are coming back? How do I make sure this is the best thing for my patients? So very complex uh, medical product. It's changing daily and advancing every day. And physicians are just struggling to keep up with their normal practices, let alone start to integrate these advanced products. Uh, another reason why a company like Soteria Precision Medicine Foundation is so popular is trying to utilize that genomic medicine in order to help people that unfortunately are dealing with cancer and bring that expertise to the forefront to act as a 
advocate for the patient, and also to support them with their oncologist. So it is coming. Uh, it is making headway. It is slow because of all the pieces that are needed. And IT integration is another piece. But trying to bring it to practice is, is going to happen. It's, it's just going to be a difficult process for the next couple of years. Excellent. And do you think that genomics will have an impact as we shift from this fee-for-service to value-based care kind of mode of operation? Absolutely. I think it's, that's a, a key question. I think that as we move from this uh, sort of the um, episodic-based, uh, volume-based into more value-based care, we, st- we need to start incorporating these data sets and these analytics and these clinical decision support tools that can help benefit the patient's care and start using more a data-driven model of clinical decision support. Uh, Unfortunately, in the past, the uh, physician has to go through the EMR looking for information, may not all be there, it might be hidden in some notes. We need to now move it more towards how do we give them at the point of care, uh, very directed evidence-based clinical decision support, which will now move us to more value-based care and start uh, looking at prevention of disease instead of just treating the disease. And, and just to c- conclude the conversation, I would, uh, I'm interested in hearing, you know, and I think you, you've told us as well, but what is your secret to success when you're working with um, health systems and just in general, because of your, your breadth of knowledge from you know, so, so many different um, areas um, across the health system? And then what advice would you tell a founder, especially as they are developing products and they're pitching to health systems? Um, what advice would you tell them as they as they move forward? Well, the first thing is, is that if I could write a, a book on this or a manual or even a podcast and tell you, here's everything you need to do, it'd probably sell 10 million copies. But that doesn't exist. It's a very flexible, dynamic environment, and you've got to constantly be changing. Uh, one of the things that people have said over the years is, I'm not a salesman. Uh, they pointed out to me, even when I was a researcher or I was doing uh, clinical operations or even working as a, at a company as a subject matter expert, because I don't have the typical sales metrics, but realize all of us are doing selling. Over the years, I had to sell when I was trying to develop grants in research. I had to sell the idea. I had to sell it with uh, um, my principal investigators. Uh, I've also had to sell over the years with budgets when I was a clinical operations and even in business, trying to sell an idea or a thought even within the own business. So we're all doing some type of selling. I like to use the word communicating and in some cases educating, but I think most of the times it's communicating. I like to communicate and, and, and hear back. I have to listen and hear. A lot of times when I'm in these meetings, I've seen uh Some people want to make this big sales pitch and they've got 45 minutes to make a statement and they use all 45 minutes. There have been times I've been in there where I've talked for two minutes and said, you know, this is going to work better if I listen and hear what their problems are. What are they going through? What do they need help with? And then how could my offering benefit them? And in some cases it may not, but we still develop a rapport and a connection because we've, we've listened to each other and heard. Um, in, in, in that respect, I try to connect with the person. Uh, we're all experiencing hardships and problems and stresses. And so part of my goal is 
how can I reduce that in some way? Can my offering help with what you're doing? Or is this this hour or half hour that we're spending? How can I help you with that a little bit? Uh, so you, you try to understand the why of what we're doing versus just the what. If you want to sell a, uh, 10 more widgets, that's, that's uh, very good. And that might be your sales model. But at the same time, it's like, what are you trying to do with it? What, the why of it, I should say. Why are you trying to do it? Change healthcare. Trying to think that that mindset when you walk into the room. I really like some of the the points that you brought up. I mean, certainly what you brought up earlier about having a Sherpa to take you through the pro, the, the process. I love the you know looking at it as a matrix ecosystem where you might have to message differently depending on who you know which stakeholder you're talking to, and then the the partnering, and then really really like the, the approach of, you know, why, why are you, you know, you know, why did you create this product? Why are you, why is it important to the health system? Asking that question and going about it as solving a problem versus like you said, I've got this great new thing that you're, you're going to love and it's going to be the best thing you've ever used when, you know, they're, they're the health system, you know, the provider or the, the, the executive is asking something completely different. And so I think sometimes it's, uh, you're, you're not solving a problem for them. You're, you know, you're wasting their time. So I think what you've, um, what you've laid out here is, is super helpful. Are there any um, last other things that you like to mention before we wrap up here? I think you made a lot of the key points. It's an ecosystem and trying to understand the ecosystem. It's coming at it with the expert counselors, guidance, uh, Sherpas, and recognizing that you're there to help them, help these healthcare systems help others. Trying to come at it with that approach is a really good way uh, of trying to holistically change what we're doing in sick care and move it more to a healthcare model. 